the desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. If you would go ahead and open um, your scriptures to Philippians 3, and we're going to look at um, Philippians 3, 1 through 11 in a few minutes. I have here, I've been doing something like, but I was out weeding today and getting vitamin D and um, cause we've had a lot of rain. So I, I brought with me some, um, some soil and um, I'm gonna stick my hand in the soil, okay? And um, it's getting pretty, pretty dirty, okay? But I know what to do. I've got water right here. So I'm gonna dip it in this water right here. And look at that, it comes clean. But you know what? I dig in some more and get, oh my goodness, I got dirty again. Oh, but I know what to do. I need to, I, I can just wash it off and get clean. And I think sometimes that's kind of like our, our attitude about sin in our life. We get dirty, and but we know what to do. We go to Jesus and he, he, he cleanses us. But what if I told you that in this dirt, because I live in the Amazon and there's all kinds of parasites and things that there's a certain kind of parasite. What if I told you, if you stuck your hand in, in this, you might get a parasite that could enter your bloodstream and it would make you blind. Because I think sometimes we think sin is kind of a superficial thing it affects me. I for, Jesus forgives me, and we're, we're we're all good. But the thing about sin, it blinds us. It can do things that we can't even imagine. It can do. So are we doomed to do the get dirty, get clean, get dirty, get clean? Is that what we're doomed to live in our Christian life? And I think we're not. I think God has a different plan for us, a, a sweet plan where we don't have to live in bondage to sin, this getting dirty all the time. I don't believe we have to live daily in sinning in word, thought, or deed. Um, one of the things that I, I know he wants to give us, and we're going to look at this in, the, in our, in our um, precious scripture tonight, that he wants to give us a faithful heart and a without this will to sin. And this requires what we call entire sanctification, giving all of ourselves to him so he can fill us full. The last week we talked about the almost Christian and um, how we don't want to be almost Christian. We want to be an altogether Christian. That means we know Jesus as our Savior, that we know that he, is, he is, uh, has saved us, he has cleaned us up, and we are, we are saved and justified. I love that word justified because it means that all of our sins have been wiped clean. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> and, um, but there's more. I, I love that he didn't just save us to leave us there. He has, that's the beginning. He has so much more for us, uh, ahead of us. And um, uh, there's a song that I, I listen to as a kind of a, a contemporary Christian song. And the singer says, he's more than a rescue. And he is a rescue. If, if we look in Col Colossians 1, 13, it says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom he, we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. So that is clear. But he wants more than in this up and down relationship with us. Um, he wants us to have that second work of grace, we call it, where we come and he becomes our Lord, where he, we give him all of us for all of him. And I love Dr. Coppage because he he'll say, okay, there's a second work of grace, but there might be a third work of grace. There might be a fourth and a fifth and a sixth because what happens when we come to him, we give him what we know of and then we find there's other things we didn't know. And that's one of the reasons we read um, Psalm 19 this week 
uh, when David says, who can discern his errors? Who can de detect um, what is going on in their hearts? Only the Holy Spirit. And then he can reveal it as we walk with him. Um, I was doing some reading and um, Adam Clark, who is um, one of those Methodist preachers, he's a scholar. And if you ever have to do any commentary, anything, look at him, Adam Clark. He's just Wesleyan and awesome. And he said this, I, I just was so, it was so beautiful. And I didn't want to make slides because it would be just too much. So just listen to what he says about holiness. The whole design of God was to restore man to his image and raise him from the ruins of his fall. In a word, to make him perfect, to blot out all his sins, purify his soul, and fill him with all holiness so that there's no unholy temper, evil desire, or imp impure affection, or passion shall either lodge or have any being within him or her. This and this is only to religion or Christian perfection. And get this, and less salvation than this. If we, if we settle for anything less than this, he says, um, and a less salvation than this would be dishonorable to the sacrifice of Christ and the operation of the Holy Ghost. Call it by whatever name you will. It must imply the pardon of all transgressions and the removal of the whole body, the whole body of sin and death. This then is what I plead for, pray for, and heartily recommend for all true believers under the name of Christian perfection. And then he goes on, and this is another sermon on entire sanctification. And I know this is, is a lot, but this is the beginning. So while we're all fresh, I want you to catch this. And, and I want to make these available if we can send them out because they're just precious to ponder. And he goes, what does this imply? Why to be saved from all power, all the guilt, and all the contamination of sin. Wow. <laughs> the devil can't be pointing anything out to in our hearts because we're saved from all the power of sin, all the guilt and all the contamination. Of course he does. He's, he's, he's the accuser, but we know that we are um, under um, Christ's um, um, sanctifying grace. And he says, this is the only the negative part, what we're saved from. But he said, here's the positive part. We are perfect. We are made perfect to be perfect as our father who is in heaven, to be filled with the fullness of God, to have Christ dwelling continually in my heart by faith and to be rooted and grounded in love. This is the state in which man was created for that he was made for to be in the likeness of God. Uh, and then he says, how can we doubt this? We can't, can we doubt the possibility of this? If we know of the omnipotent love of God, the infinite merit of the blood of the atonement, and the all-pervading, all-purifying energy of the Holy Spirit. Ladies, after that, wow. <laughs> That's what Jesus has planned for us. He has planned that we will be all clean before him so he can dwell in us and live in us. So let's open our scriptures to um, Philippians 3. And I'm going to start with the ver verse 1 um, and read to uh, verse 11. And um, this is the ESV um, version. Sorry if that's going to be bothersome to some people, um, but um, it's my large letter Bible that I have to read. So anyway, let's, let's, let's open our hearts to read his precious word and let these truths penetrate our hearts tonight. Okay, here we go. Uh, Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> to write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And he needs to keep, we need to keep, be reminded of the things over and over again. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, that means we're part of the covenant, who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are not almost Christians. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Listen to this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, not grafted in. He's not. He's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Drew, Benjamin, uh, where you have most of the, I believe, the kings come from. He's a, a special tribe. Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee. No, I, that's wrong. Ephraim is the one. Sorry, Ephraim. Um, but anyway, so he's from he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He says to righteousness under the law. Okay, as, as excuse me, verse six. As to zeal, a persecutor of the law. As to the righteousness under the law, blameless. Verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything every single thing as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Okay, we're going to stop there and ponder these verses for a few minutes because they teach us what it means to know what holiness, what is, what holiness is. Um, when he says there's no confidence in the flesh, we know that our righteousness can't come from anything we would ever ever think about doing there's it's just not, nothing and he and he calls that i think he, he groups it all together not only what he's obtained but everything is is not only lost but it's it's this rubbish here maybe your version has something a little bit more you know dung excrement if you are a mother with a baby <laughs> they have to change diapers all the time or you have a as we're talking with he's saying it's it's the same as excrement it's worth nothing. In fact, it's worse than worth nothing. It's, it's icky, stinky, and abhorrent. So there's nothing we, we, he, he, he brings. And so I just want us to savor, to savor this verse. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So I thought about that this afternoon. Is that my attitude about knowing Christ? Is he everything to me? Is anything I have, do I value it more than him? Is there any, any ambition, any thought, any, any thing, any person that I, that I, I put ahead of him? And I was thinking about, I was thinking, Jesus, I just, I help me know how to talk about this because it's so beautiful to, to know Jesus. In fact, I read in one little quote here that says to know him, to know Christ is the way to grow in holiness. It's, it's our passport to knowing him. I mean, to, to holiness is to, is to, um, to, to our passport to holiness is to know Christ. So I was thinking about, it. I was, I, 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 uh, the Lord brought to mind some years ago, I, I was really dissatisfied with my prayer life. It was really, I felt really weak. And, you know, you have three kids, you kind of blame it, you know, <laughs> on, on life, but it was totally dumb. And so I just said, Jesus, I need, I need to show me, I just need to learn about. Um, and so I, it was the year I first got my Kindle. I must have been about 10 years ago. And um, a free book came up. It was called um, Confessions of a Prayer Slacker. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Um, and um, what it what it told me, when I read it, it said, um, 
here are the reasons. Here are 10 reasons people don't pray. And the first one, okay, okay. The second, by the time they got to the one that said laziness, I was like, oh, that, that's me. Because what would happen was I would, you know, be wake up and think I'm going to pray here when I'm lying in bed. And, you know, in five minutes, you're back to sleep because you're tired and you're chasing babies. I guess 10 years ago, I wasn't chasing babies, but. And so she said, and this is kind of, I think what Beth says, you get up, you get your chair, you get your coffee and you wake up and you, you, you spend time, with, you make time for Jesus. And um, one of my favorite preachers is um, Steve Deneff. He's a Wesleyan preacher. And he says, if God wanted to talk to you, if he wanted to get a message, if he wanted to tell you how much he loved you, when we do that, you got to make time in your day for him to say, I love you. So for you to open your, the word and, and know him. So I'm thinking about what are we willing to do to know him? He's made himself available to us in every way I can think of. His word, his Holy Spirit, the church, everywhere we look, what am I willing to do? And so Paul says, everything else I have is worth nothing. And so ladies, Jesus, help us to have that kind of desire because whatever we desire, we go after. Whatever we really want, we will go after. So I pray that Jesus will plant this desire in us to know him more fully ever before. And so then he says, um, for this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish we talked about in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And what I love, Wesley says, when we gain Christ, when we know Christ, he becomes our prophet and our priest and our king. Our prophet because he teaches us wisdom. Our priest, because he atones for our sin. And our king, because he reigns in our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? And that's how he wants to, to, uh, us to know him. And, um, and so we have not a righteousness of our own. It comes through faith in Christ. Okay. Now, I think this is where a lot of people have trouble when they talk about uh, righteousness and sanctification. They were like, how does it happen? And it's clearly right here. It's through faith. We believe that the transaction takes place because when we think about it, when we're saved, we don't need some kind of, it's you're saved by faith. We're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I understand it. And we, we sense something's happening. It's that same faith, the same faith that you, you, you come to Jesus for salvation is the same faith you come to him for, for sanctification by faith. Jesus, I take i receive your sanctification you you make me whole and make me yours it's all by faith and um, he's faithful he wants us to be holy he wants to fill him uh, us with himself and then it, it, we end a few things um in 10 verse 10 that i may know him okay we've talked about how precious that is to know him and it says and the power of his resurrection that means what is dead in me is raised to life. I, I love, I think it was Wesley that says, says um, it like this. He says, um, um, let me see, killing sin in us and raising up us up in the newness of life as we receive the benefit of Christ's death and resurrection in his justification. Killing sin in us, see, he does it, <laughs> and raising us up in the newness of life. And um, I'm trying to read through some um, classics this year. Um, we may be moving to Asia uh, next year. And so I'm trying to clean off my the books. You know, I get trying to read them before I get rid of them. Like, like I'm going to talk about um, uh, Hiding Place um, because it's all, I mean, the Amazon is bad on books. And I, I always tell people that Jesus knew what he was doing when he had the Dead Scrolls in the desert <laughs> because they wouldn't last you know, 10 years in the Amazon anyway. But um, so I'm reading some classic books, trying to go through my stock of books and figure out what I want to want to keep. And I reread Mere Christianity. I don't know when the last time you read that was, but it, it's been a long time. And so when I read it again. I was so amazed at the holiness 
message. It was astounding to me. And I'm going to read you a little bit from him. And it'll be very easy for you to find it. if you have the book or the ebook. It's the last page. <laughs> and um, this is what he says. Um, Submit to death, death of your of ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be truly yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run, hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. And I'm going to say gain Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. When you gain Christ, I, you gain everything else with him. I want to say you gain all of his uh, holiness, all of his um, infilling when you, when we get him. And that is what I want. And that's what we all want. I know. Okay. So let's, um, um, and the fellowship of sufferings, um, that's a precious thing to me because I think once we know him in our sufferings, I think a lot of us have suffered this year in ways we never imagined losing loved ones, isolation, um, rejection of others. Uh, and this year has been a, one of the hardest for me in having a loved one, totally reject me and and Jesus as well and it was about Lent it was about I think it was it was right before um Good Friday and I tell you what I said Jesus if this hurts this much for one to reject I can't imagine Jesus your heart when when you were betrayed and rejected by so many so when we it's a precious thing. When we, we, when we suffer, we have this fellowship with him. Not that we want to look for suffering, but we have a fellowship and intimacy with him that we can't know any other way. And I, I think of some on this call who have lost loved ones. Jesus is so close. When, when we can't have that loved one, we can have Jesus. And I, um, I know that he's being real to you tonight and every day. Um, okay, so we can have this, this fellowship with him, intimate communion with him, and we know him in a whole, whole new way, becoming like him in death. And that, I love that because that means not my will, but thy will. And I was reading today, E. Stanley Jones, he said, we don't say that grudgingly or com with compulsion. We don't say, you know, gritting our teeth. We say gladly, joyfully, thy way. We want your way. Um, okay, so I'm going to quickly go through um, um, the last 12 through 16. We're not going to dwell there, but this is going to show us what we're going to do is we're going to um, get segue to the next section. So he says, not that I've already obtained this and this resurrection of the dead, this, this salvation of um, this, this, um, um, he has not died yet. <laughs> so he's not obtained that perfection. Um, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love that. He's, we, he's made us his own. I do brothers. I do not sisters. I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing, one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ, uh, in, uh, call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature, same word as perfect as before, um, Think this way. And, it, and if in any way you think otherwise, I love this. God will reveal it to you. I love that. He's got, if you think otherwise, Jesus will let you know <laughs> that I'm right. So, because this is right. This is biblical. And he said, only hold true to what you've uh, attained. So I love this. He said, I haven't already attained perfection. I haven't gotten to heaven where I've got it all, but I am perfect. He says that we are mature. We are perfect. So there's this now and the not yet. We are perfect in the sense that we have a, a, a willing and intentional heart to do what God wants us to do. And that's what Charles was, what um, John Wesley says. I think Charles does too. Wesley says that it's, um, he's not saying that our actions are going to be perfect, 
that our understanding is going to be perfect. Um, but, it, but our intention, our desire to follow Jesus is going to be perfect. We want what he wants. And so that's what Paul's saying here. Um, we are perfect, but I haven't obtained it yet. But we're on the way. We're on, we're running towards that goal. And, um, and that's what we're doing every day. So living holiness in the home. And we're talking about uh, three things. First, we're talking about the holiness in me. And that has to happen. And, um, and Philippians shows us that it can happen, having faith and, and trust in righteousness. Um, and so I have the flame of Holy Spirit um, um, in me. And then, um, of course, the Philippians 3 we looked at. And I love the heading in mine is righteousness by faith. That's, all, that's where it comes down to is our accepting righteousness by faith. And so now we're going to head into what is the biggest obstacle to that is the sin in the home. And how do we deal with that? And one of the um, precious books that I love and um, is this book by um, Dr. Oswald, uh, Dr. Well, Dr. Oswald worked on it with um, Dr. Kinlaw. These are Dr. Kinlaw's lectures on the Old Testament. And so um, Dr. Kinlaw says there's four words for uh, sin. And we see those in Psalm 20, uh, 32. So we're going to look at those really briefly. Um, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. So that's the first one. It, that's the worst kind of sin. Um, then whose sin is covered. And that's kind of the missing the mark kind of sin. And then you have iniquity, which is the kind of the twisted, perverse um, nature inside of man. And then you have deceit, which is uh, dishonesty. And um, so, but I love what he points out in this psalm. He said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And so that means they're carried away. They're kind of like the scapegoat. It's carried away into the, into the um, uh, desert. Um, but then you have the sin is covered. And so this is um, Kippur. This is kind of, a, this is atonement. And then you have blessed is the man who's, um, the Lord does not count against him. So there's no grudge there. And then the last one, I, I love this. This is, this is gospel. He said, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So there is a spirit where there can be no deceit. And um, so... One of the things we're going to look at briefly is um, uh, Leviticus because it's not abstract. It's total hands-on practical theology and um, it's theology acted out. And if you're like a kinetic learner, this is, you'd love it because you're going to get what it's all about because you got to do the actions. And um, so um, sin, it teaches us in Leviticus sin at every level has to be taken care of. For us, sin is kind of abstract. We kind of forget about it, it goes away, but not in, not in Leviticus, it doesn't go away. It has to be dealt with, whether it's intentional or not. And sin, you know, people you know, say, how can that be, you know, animal rights people, they take the animals and they sacrifice them. Isn't that awful? And they, yes, it is awful. It's horrible. It's it's to show the ghastliness of your sin. Someone has to pay the price. And in the, in, in the, in the sacrifice, it's an innocent animal. Sin should cause, it causes death. And so when you have to sacrifice your little lamb or your little turtle doves or your bull, it hurt. And it should be painful. It should be shocking. It should be distressful. It should upset us. And that's what I love about what we see in Leviticus. You have this very real um, people having to acknowledge their sin and they have to do something about it. And, and I don't know what I do because it says that the sinner has to be the one that cuts the neck. I, I'd be passing out before then. <laughs> but Jesus knows all those things. Um, but it's ghastly and it's gruesome. It's repulsive and appalling. We cannot forget that. And so if we get a little bit nervous when we're reading it, good. 
because that's what it's supposed to show us that these animals, y'all, I can't hardly even tell my dog if he looks at me, she looks at me sad, you know, to get off the couch. How could you <laughs> take an animal that you raised and killed it, kill it? And it's because of, um, of sin. And, and the other thing I was thinking about, I don't know, I need some help on this one. Not only is sin, you know, not abstract, it's also not, it's not private. It's very public. I mean, I don't know. I, okay, so you have the a tabernacle in the middle of, of the camp. So everyone, you've got to pass all your kinsmen, all your tribes, people on the way to the um, tabernacle. And you're taking noisy birds and lambs and bulls. So you're not hiding it. It's very obvious. And I don't know, I don't know the laws, uh, the offerings that well. If people could say, hmm, I know what he did. <laughs> Just to look at the offering. And I don't know. But I think as, as it was public, you had to publicly do this. I wonder if there was something about it when someone would say, oh, well, I had to do that yesterday. I know how it feels. If there be, might be something not only freeing, but something compassionate about understanding where people are and have, knowing what they have to go through. I don't know, but it's a very, very public thing that they had to do. And um, um, I heard something some years ago, um, I was sitting in on a class, um, a university I was just visiting, wanted to hear what they were saying about the Old Testament. And the teacher said this, and maybe you've heard this too. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament was God's way of atoning for and giving forgiveness for unintentional sins only. There is no sacrifice in the Old Testament for the sins you do on purpose. Have you heard that? And so I'm like, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm way after class. I don't say that in class. But I, I talked with it and I said, no, that can't be. I mean, because my, my whole concept, and by this time I've, I've graduated from seminary, I've majored in the Old Testament and I'm like, no. And so, so it, I maybe scurry away to read my Leviticus. And if anything I say doesn't make sense to you all, scurry away and read, <laughs> read it for yourself because I learned a lot. I learned things I never thought I could, I could, um, learn from Leviticus. And um, so I, I found that he was kind of right. And I like that Dr. Hamilton kind of agrees with me, Dr. Victor Hamilton. He says, when you look at Leviticus 6, you have robbing and swearing falsely, and they don't sound very kind of unintentional to, uh, to me. But that doesn't matter, because when you get to the atonement, it's, it's uses the word iniquity. So we're talking um, um, I think he was 95% right, but I was missing the whole point. So let me share some things with you here because I realized I didn't understand what God was after. So, um, so Leviticus, we can divide it into two parts. And I, I love this. It's the God makes a way for every single person who wants to. No matter if you're rich or poor, you can approach the Holy One. And so that's what we see, 1 through 16. And then afterwards, you see how you live it out. And you have all these different laws that if we had time to study, I wish we did, we could look at how they were singular, nothing like it in any of the, of the, uh, of the uh, Middle East or um, because they valued people, they valued women, they valued slaves. Uh, it, it's just astounding, but we don't have time tonight. <laughs> so, but the first um, part of Leviticus, I, I just never realized this. Okay. So first of all, you have Jesus say, or God saying, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of, of meeting saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them when anyone comes. Okay. Now the first thing we got to realize that, that you have more direct speaking in Leviticus from the Lord to Moses and Aaron than, than to, to anybody in in the whole Bible. So you have the Lord calling to Moses, explaining step by step, because he wants us to come to him. He wants us to approach him. So the first um, uh, uh, sacrifice, we call it oferta, 
first sacrifice was the burnt offering. And I don't know if you were able to discover what it was for. It's kind of confusing because it says burnt offering. And it, it has the word atonement. But most people, most people I read say this is a offering with no strings attached, an offering that you're not getting any benefit because it's going to be burnt up. You know how you say it when you burn something in your, in your kitchen and it's a burnt offering. No one's eating that thing. Well, that's what this was like. Um, there was no um, after feast afterwards. It was completely burnt up. It was a gift to God. And um, this is, so Jesus, so God is saying, he's inviting them. He's saying, let them come and bring their offering to me, which is a total, it's a divine invitation to express devotion and worship. So this is, uh, um, this is God inviting people to, to, um, to give a costly, this is costly um, sacrifice to, to him. It was interesting. I was reading um, uh, one of the commentator, commentators said, does God need our gifts? And he goes, no, the better question is, can I succeed as a Christian without giving him my gifts? It's, it's our giving that transforms something in our lives. Okay, so we have the first burnt offering. And then in Leviticus 2, we have the grain offering. No sin mentioned there. It's, it's an sin, it's a, it's a offering that is um, um, to express, let's see, um, a voluntary offering. These are all voluntary um, to express thanksgiving to God and recognizing that he has provided um, food for them and um, an unmerited goodwill toward um, that to the, whoever offered it. And then you have the third one, the peace offering. Again, not sin, but it's um, uh, uh, wanting to have peace, not only with God, but with others as well. And here you have some food, you have some of peace uh, before God and others as well. So no real mention of sin, except that one word of atonement in the burnt offering. But then we have the sin offering. And if you read it, it says what? This sin is for what? For unintentional sins. And then the next one, guilt offering or trespass offering, unintentional sins. And uh, that was um, the one that kind of had some other things. But you have to, you have to um, re uh, restore. You have to um, do restitution. And um, so even if you don't mean what you did, if you break something, you still have to make it good. And um, so why are we looking at these? Why is it so important that they're unintentional? And I missed it. <laughs> I missed it. Dr. Oswald had to tell me why we have this most of it, not all of it, but most of it for unintentional sins. Because even in the Old Testament, God wanted a people that came to him, not because they grossly sinned all the time, they came to him because they loved him, devoted to him, wanted peace with him, wanted to thank him. And if they did do something unintentionally because they're not programmed for that, then, then they, could, they could take care of it with these sin offerings. So it was set up. God's system was set up for people who didn't want to sin. Isn't that something? But just because it was unintentional, this is the other part. Just because it wasn't intentional doesn't mean it wasn't sin. How many times do you think, well, I didn't mean to. <laughs> it still hurts. It, it tells us that, our, that God and our neighbors and people in our home are so important that even when we unintentionally hurt them, we, we have to do something about it. And um, so it takes, these sacrifices take that very seriously, how we treat one another and how we treat God. God wants us to seek forgiveness. And so one of the things I love, if I, I was listening to an old um, uh, sermon by Dr. Oswald back in 2015, but I know if you've heard him, he talks about this. He says that we're not obligated to sin. We don't have to wake up every morning and saying, oh, how am I going to hurt my children today? No, we wake up saying, Jesus, help me serve them. Help me love them. But it doesn't mean that we don't wake up and unintentionally hurt our precious ones. 
Um, we may not understand where they are, how they're feeling. We may respond sharply. When I get hungry, I'm, I just got to have Jesus close my mouth. <laughs> I, I kind of like snap. I, I don't want to be that way. And so we do things not planning to, but unintentionally things happen. And we can't just say it doesn't matter. If we want to have holiness on our homes where we love those who are around us and we will hurt them because we live close to them and we love them. Um, I, I don't mean that to sound um, negative, but it, it will happen because we live with them and we do things unintentionally. So we cannot just say, sorry, didn't matter. We've got to say, Jesus, help us, because I don't want to be negative. And I hear my brother talk about this all the time, about dysfunctional families, because he knows our family. Laura, um, Yuri, don't smile too broad, broadly. We are a weird bunch of people, and we need Jesus all the time. And so, um, so we can hurt people, because like when I look back at my family, my dad, his father was an alcoholic who abandoned him when he was five. And that leaves deep marks on a person. Now, my dad was sanctified. He was a precious, precious man. But did he love us perfectly? There were some times I thought he didn't. But that was, you know, because I'm a teenager or something. I don't know what. But um, so there's always in our families, there's always there's there's humanness and, and things we didn't get from people that we loved. And so we, we sometimes respond and Jesus wants to heal us. He wants to bring us to wholeness, but we need to come to a place saying, Jesus, I need you to help me here. And so he will. And so that's why we have to have this humble heart, ladies. We've got to, we've got to lay pride down because Jesus wants us to um, be able to ask forgiveness. So this is the next thing. So we Holiness in me, he reigns in me, but sin happens because unintentionally I can hurt people, but he says to us, and so the last one is that we need forgiveness in the home, and I, I just put this little puzzle, piece of puzzle piece because that puts us back into harmony again. Whenever there is any kind of sin, it, it breaks us apart, and um, we have to ask Jesus to come put us back into, into place. And um, so our intention is to love our family, but our actions are often imperfect and we need humility to ask and recognize when we've hurt, hurt others. Just because you don't, didn't want to hurt someone um, and your intention was not to hurt one doesn't mean that you didn't hurt somebody. Um, so we need to cultivate, I love this word, cultivate a habit of forgiveness, cultivate this, this quickness to say, I'm sorry. Please help me to be different. Because if we say, keep saying sorry and we don't change, our kids, our husband are going to say, um, I'm a little tired of hearing that. But we want to say, Jesus, please change me. And tell our loved ones, I don't want to respond like that. And, um, and, and it gets, it's pretty serious, actually. This is very serious. Because if we cannot forgive others, then it's very clear that Jesus will not forgive us. If we look at the Lord's Prayer, John Wesley talks about this. He says, the Lord establishes the condition and the measure under which we hope for God's forgiveness. God forgives us as we forgive others so that if any malice or bitterness, if any taint of unkindness or anger remains, if we do not clearly, fully, and from the heart forgive all men, women, children <laughs> their trespasses, we far cut short the forgiveness of our own. God cannot clearly and fully forgive us. He may show us some degree of mercy. While we do not from our hearts forgive our neighbors, what we are saying really is, do not forgive me at all. I do not want favor from my hands. We pray that you will not keep our sins in remembrance. You see what I'm saying? If we don't forgive, we're saying to God, don't forgive us. Oh, he says, oh, don't tempt him any longer. Now, even by his grace, forgive as you would be forgiven. 
So ladies, that's what we have to come to. We have to forgive. We have to ask for forgiveness. We can hold on. If we want God's blessing in our lives, we have got to let go of hurts. And, and I want to, it's one thing for us to forget. We're not saying, I, want, I, I was doing, um, if you know of uh, Celebration of Recovery, it's this wonderful program that deals with addicts, but it also deals with anyone that's got some spiritual breakthrough that's got to happen. And so I went through a, a, the training and then I went with it with a, 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 a friend of mine when we were in lockdown, we were in the States, we went through it every, every because she had to forgive a husband who betrayed her um, and she, it was too hard. And, um, and what I'm, so we don't ever want to say what they did was not wrong. <laughs> what this person was, the husband did was horrible. We are stuck in our and where we are, so we have to forgive in order to to go on. And an interesting thing happened when I was doing this this um, uh, training for for celebration recovery. Um, we had a time we were talking about forgiving of sins, and and so this man looked at me and he said, "And I need to ask uh, my sister over there looking at me for forgiveness." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wow." And apparently a year ago, a year before, I, he'd come to buy some materials um, from the Sunday school. And we had a rule that you couldn't take any of the materials unless you paid. And so I, I wouldn't give them to him. <laughs> and it was unintentional. And so he was, he was really upset at me. And, um, and I, he asked forgiveness. I said, forgive me. I'm so sorry. But this is the deal about unforgiveness. I had no idea. He stuck in chains and bondage. Every time he maybe heard about me or whatever, he had this bitterness. It didn't affect me at all. So that's the thing about forgiveness. It doesn't affect the other person. It always kills us. And um, we have to be very ruthless with ourselves not to hold on to anything. Now I jog a little bit. I like to run around just to kind of get rid of stress. And, and would, wouldn't you think it was stupid if I ran out the door with two suitcases full of rocks and I'm going to run. It's the dumbest thing in the world because you want to go, you know, fast and not hurt yourself. And, but when we don't forgive, we're holding on to weights. And Jesus wants to say, can I just take those for you? Can I just free you from that? Can you give it to me so that I can let you run free towards the goal of, as we just read here, that we run the race, not looking behind, but we are straining forward towards the goal with everything we have. We can't afford to drag anything with us. And so I don't know tonight. I just pray that you are clean with Jesus. And if there's any place that you need to forgive someone, you will be able to forgive him, not by your strength, but with your sheer will of saying, Jesus, you help me. And if you can't do it yet, say, Jesus, I want to want to. I love that because he will bring that to you. So we need to have a place where we are, we are letting things go. And if you need to ask forgiveness, I just have a little caution. Just make sure it's not going to open up something horrible. You know what I'm saying? It's got to be, uh, I've heard of people that have asked for forgiveness of something that was not known about, and then it just crushed people. But if you need to get free of something, someone with someone you love, and you're not sure, um, talk to someone who has some wisdom. And um, I could share a story recently. I almost did something dumb <laughs> again. And so my husband said, you know, Grace, this is how you should do it. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. And it was the right idea. It was a spirit-filled idea. So I just pray that as we say, Jesus, I want to be clean in every way. I want to forgive and be forgiven, that he will direct you. And he will give you all that you need to do this because that's what he died for, to forgive us. And he wants you to do the same. So as we pray, I just want to put before Jesus those hurts, those hard betrayals, those deceits, those things that were wicked and horrible. And we're going to ask Jesus if he would come and he would take those and he would heal those. 
and he would free us so that we can be the women that we can want to be in our homes to love those in our walls and those whoever we come in contact. So let's pray together. Let's bend, uh, bend our uh, hearts and our, 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 our spirits before Jesus today. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, we know that you are ready by your spirit to carry us forward in every degree of our life and light and love. Jesus, you can do it. There can be little difficulty in attaining the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls from all sin. If God carry us, if God carries us forward, we can do it. So Jesus, we ask that you would carry us forward. We ask that by your sweet mercy and your fullness and your grace, that you would help us to do what we need to do. We can't do it, Jesus. And I just pray in this, this moment, someone will say, Jesus, I give it to you. I give it to you and you take it and he will make us free. Jesus, thank you. We love you. We love you. We can't love you enough. You are <laughs> worth knowing with our whole lives. Help us today, Jesus, help us tonight to go into that excitement of getting to know you more and more. Amen.